Welcome to Marketing Without the Marketing. I'm your host, Michael Bosey. Very glad you could join me today. Now, if you've been following along, you know that I'm in the middle of a series about repurposing content. And the reason I wanted to spend a bunch of episodes on this is it's one of the most important facets of any content strategy, mostly because it just makes you way more efficient if you're, you know, getting more than one use out of a piece of content. So let's see, I kicked it off with uh, the first episode called Repurposing Content is a Part of Any Content Strategy. And I talked about the three different ways that I look at uh, when repurposing content. So that's by format, context, or extent. And uh, let's see, episode two, I spent on format, and that's all about the content. Episode three was about the uh, context, and that's really about the audience. But then the next couple of episodes, I'd like to talk about extent, which is the length of the content that you're working with. And I'd like to talk about my method for categorizing each piece of content by its length, and then working one of two ways, either upstream or downstream. Now, to keep this clean and structured, I'm going to split this topic into two episodes, right? So this episode, I'll focus on the upstream method that I use. And in the next episode, next week, I'll focus on the downstream method. Now, I developed each of these methods really as a way to help my clients get more efficient in their content strategy. And as you'll see, you know, not only are they making multiple uses of the same content, which is the whole point of this series, but also with my upstream method, a really cool thing is that you can start small and then work towards something bigger, uh, which is why I favor this method. And I find that, you know, I tend to work this way and I enjoy it and it, I find it keeps me on track. And look, it might not be right for everyone, but it definitely works for me. Uh, and I have some good evidence that's worked well for my clients too. Uh, so let me lay it out for you and see if you think that this will work for you. Okay, let's start with the different lengths of content. They're usually categorized in three ways, long form, medium form, and short form. And here are some quick examples of that. So for instance, long form content might be a book, a research report, or think of like a blog series. Um, it's not an exact way to look at it, but let's say it's anything more than a few thousand words. Now, medium form content, that's more, I think, ebooks, white papers, blog posts, YouTube videos. And, you know, whether it's a blog post or a script for a video, I tend to think of these as anywhere between a few hundred words and a few thousand. And lastly, there's short form content, which is social media posts, things you might post in a forum, uh, email newsletters, if they're not too long, uh, press releases that tend to be one page or less. So think anywhere really from, you know, 140 characters to 140 words. It's not exactly that, but you get the idea. Um, uh, short pieces of content. Now, for some of my clients, we'll never do long form content, right? It's not in the plan at all. And so it might be that, uh, you know, we never do a book, uh, a research report, uh, nothing more than blog posts, podcast episodes, short videos. And look, that's completely okay. You don't need to write a book to make an impact with content. It can be a great strategy for some people, but it could be a terrible strategy for others. And only you can decide if having a substantive piece of content like, like a book will help you or not. 
And for some of my clients, short form content is not really that important, right? So I have some folks who I work with who are not really interested in doing social media. And that means that they might do the very bare minimum for social or here's the thing, none at all. And it's not normally what I recommend, but again, if that's what works for someone and they can reach an audience via email or publishing books or eBooks regularly, you know, who am I to say that they need to be on social, right? But as a rule, it's not a bad idea to have a balance of all three types of content. Okay, so let's talk about how to make these three types of content work together, and then let's focus on the upstream method. Now, my upstream method usually starts with the blog as a primary instrument, but with the idea that we're going to use that blog to create something bigger. So here's how that works. First, I sit down with a client and we plan out the table of contents for a complete book end to end. And at this point in the process, it's just the structure of the book, right? We're not doing any writing yet. Really, we're just planning. And I always find this to be a great exercise because it really helps clarify and organize your knowledge into something that can be taught. And think about that. That's really what you're trying to do here. You're trying to teach something to your prospective customers. And these days, the sales process it really is more of a teaching process than it is a selling process, right? You have to build up trust with your audience by teaching them what you know. And I should note that you really can't hold back here, right? If you think that you should reserve or restrict some of your knowledge because you think, well, look, that's what people are going to be purchasing from you, right? That's not the way that things work now. There are so many people in your sector who also have a lot of knowledge. And the new rules are the person who shares the most is going to win the most. Those are the rules. And here's why, right? If you hold back and say, okay, now you have to pay for my knowledge. I'm going to stop there. And from now on, you got to pay. I'm not giving this away for free anymore. Well, look, what's to stop someone now from just going to find that knowledge somewhere else? Nothing. Right? The internet has everything you could need, and no matter how good or knowledgeable you are, people can find more good content somewhere else. And sure, you might think, oh, well, it's not as good as mine. It's not as good as what I know. And you might even be right, but it's not about you. It's what the customer wants to know. Often they don't need the best solution, right? They just need something to solve their problem. And if someone else steps in and is ready to do that for free, you got a problem. Now, the only way to stand out then is to become the trusted source on a particular topic, right? And here's the crazy thing. The things that people will actually pay for are twofold. First, there's your particular personality or the nuances of what you do. And I always say this with, you know, uh, with what I teach, uh, about 90% of what I do, it's the same techniques and methods that anyone else can teach you. So if that's true, why do people hire me? Well, when it comes down to it, it's because of the 10% that's unique to me. And I'm no different from you in that regard. You really just have to show off that 10%. That's the thing that makes you, you, and that's the thing that you got to highlight. But the other thing that's surprising is that people will pay for some very basic things, things that you might not expect would be that valuable. And what I'm talking about here are structure and sequence. Okay, remember, we're talking about teaching here. And these two things, structure and sequence, are really important. The structure of the content matters, right? You're the expert. 
you know how to break the topic down into small enough sections so that it's easily digestible. You know where the borders are. You know how to present this. You know how to contain it. You know it topic by topic. And that brings me to the next point, which is that the sequence matters too, right? So in other words, when you're teaching, what's the first thing that someone needs to know if they're trying to learn what you know, right? You can't tell them everything at once. So what's the first thing? And then after that, what's the second thing that they need to know? And again, the fact that you're an expert in your sector means that you can make these determinations. You can try to see it through the eyes of a novice and try to present it to them in a way that sort of uh, produces a gradient of learning, right? And that's valuable. I mean, that's really valuable. So from there, you want to build out your table of contents. Now, when we're talking about a book-length work, uh, consider that to be about you know, from my publishing days, about 90,000 words, could be 100,000, could be more. But as a rule, uh, this is what we consider to be roughly book length work, 90,000 words. So, uh, you know, for most trade books, let's say that's a 300 page book with about 300 words per page, give or take, you know, depends on a lot of other factors, but that will add up to 90,000 words. And as a rule, uh, let's make each chapter about 9,000 words, and that produces about 10 chapters. That can sway a little bit, you know, it could be eight chapters, could be six chapters, could be 12, could be 15. It doesn't matter so much, but we're just using this as a guideline. And here's the thing, you're going to let your content decide for you. But as much as possible, you really do want to chart this out because it's nice to your reader. You want to keep what I call a consistent pedagogical rhythm. So for instance, you want to have each chapter be about the same length so that your reader kind of knows what to expect, right? Uh, and, and look, this is going to happen even when you break it down a little further into sections. So if each chapter is about 9,000 words and you have about five or six sections or so, that turns into about 1,500 words per section. And hey, guess what? That's about the size of a standard blog post, right? So you can see where I'm going with this. You got 10 chapters, six sections each, it's about 60 blog posts. And even though we haven't written a word yet, now we've got a roadmap towards a book. And I love to work this way. And the simplest benefit is just that it keeps you really focused, right? You've got a blueprint now for a string of sequenced, largely orthogonal content. No more questions about, you know, what am I going to write about this week? Because you've got the list, right? you got a list of topics. So just pick one. It doesn't matter which one. And get going. Write a blog post. You don't have to do it in sequence. And in point of fact, you might not want to. Write the book all packaged up and presented professionally. That's where the reader is going to get the sequence content. All strung together. All logical. All in a very coherent path. Now, of course, this brings up a big question that people ask about this process when I lay this out. And this, I get this all the time, right? So the question is, okay, Michael, if people can read this on my blog, why will they ever buy a book from me when it's done? All right, that might seem like a legitimate question up front, but let me explain what's going on here. First, you're publishing a draft, right? So think of your blog as just a first draft. You're going to be able to get a reaction from an audience, right? Because you're publishing it live. And, you know, when it gets compiled into a book, 
it's not going to be in draft form, right? You're going to want to hire a professional editor to help you take this draft and turn it into a polished professional product. The book here is a very different format from a blog. And look, that takes the pressure off you when you're blogging, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just a draft. So in other words, what's published in your book is going to look nothing like what's published on your blog. Great. Now, secondly, you're not going to publish the entire book on your blog, right? With the clients that I've used this method with, basically what we'll do is blog uh, section by section through this outline, right? Until we get to about 50 or 60% of the book done and completed, right? In the first draft anyway. So once you reach this critical mass, then it's time to get serious and turn it into a real book project, right? In other words, your blog readers are not going to be getting the whole book anyway. They'll probably be getting about half of your first draft. Now, here's the thing. Some writers have told me that, you know, when they're shopping this around to publishers or agents, they say the publisher doesn't want to see this type of activity. You know, they want proprietary control over the content, so they don't want to see a draft of it out there in blog form. Here's my response to that. Now, first of all, I can say this because I was in publishing for 17 years, but look, publishers need to get with it. Right, They want you to build an author platform, and this is how you do it. You can't have you know building a platform be another activity. It has to be wound into what you already do. And it's crazy for publishers to think that you have to do this entirely separate activity from the you know the writing that you do every day uh, on the book project. And also, I have proof of this because I've actually done it with clients, and it works. Let me call out a recent example. Uh, it's a book called ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World by Dr. Devorah Heitner. And I worked with the author uh, and applied this blog-to-book process. And basically, we worked from an outline collected up a lot of draft content she had from presentations, wrote some original pieces as well to fill out the outline, and ultimately got to about what I was talking about before. We got to about 60% of the content in draft form, then started you know, sending this around to publishers and agents, and long story short, it got picked up by Routledge, and it was published in September 2016. So listen, this process works so don't let publishers tell you otherwise. They can't expect you to be building an audience and writing the book at the same time and then say, oh, by the way, yeah, you can't use the book. I mean, that's ridiculous when you think about it. Anything that gets you in front of more readers uh, and uh, more folks who are your potential customers is a good thing for you. And any partner like a publisher or anyone else uh, should really not discourage this type of activity. It's, uh, it's just ridiculous to me. All right, so I think you can understand my upstream method here, right? You chart out your plan, build the table of contents, and then start filling it in with content. You publish it little by little in blog form. Use it to interact with your audience, right? Use it to establish trust and affinity. And look, before you know it, you'll have a workable first draft. Now, let's talk time frame. If you publish a blog every week about 1,500 words or so, after 30 weeks or so, you're going to be halfway towards your goal of 90,000 words. So if you think about that, every week or so, that's about eight months of sustained weekly work, and you got half a draft done. Awesome. And look, in my 17 years in publishing, working with authors, 
the very beginning of any book project was absolutely daunting uh, for the authors, for the editors, for everyone involved, including their families, right? How can you finish a project of 90,000 words or more, right? How can you even conceive of that when you start? Well, look, it starts like anything else, one step at a time, and then you go step by step through the process. And that right here, in a nutshell, is what I like about this method. Yes, you get a book out of it at the end of it, but you're also out there interacting with an audience and developing the trust of that audience while you do it. And I can't think of a better way to achieve these two goals at the same time. That right there is smart content strategy. All right, so that's going upstream. And of course, you can apply this to other things. And in particular, one thing I've been fascinated with is using this same method to create online courses. And I've been working on this over the past couple of years on my own online course, which is called Create Biz. But I've also been getting a bunch more clients who want to use my method to do the same thing. And that's going to be the topic of not the next episode, but the one after that. Uh, I want to dive deeper into this because there's more, you know, there are nuances to producing the, the course that are different than producing a book. And I really want to share that with you. So please subscribe to be notified about that when I publish it. But first, next week's episode, I got to cover going the opposite direction, which is downstream. So going from larger pieces of content to smaller pieces. And this is equally as important. And again, Right? To be running a sound content strategy, you always want to be repurposing content one direction or the other, upstream or downstream. All right, so before I wrap up, let's hear from you about what you've been doing. Have you done something similar in the past uh, You know, with a blog-to-book process? Or if not, does this inspire you to finally get that book project going? That would be really cool if it does. And look, please reach out if you need some help thinking through this or whatever. It's one of the most fun things for me to do in content strategy because to me, it's like this big puzzle, right? You roll your sleeves up and you really dig into the content, how to present it in a, you know, in a teachable manner. It's really fun stuff and efficient. I'm always saying that content strategy makes you more efficient if you do it right. And we as small business owners, we're busy. And that one-to-one ratio of activity to output, that's not going to cut it for us, right? And look, I know that's the way you roll because it's the way I roll too. So, okay, I'll stop there and I'll say thank you for listening as always. We'll see you next week and we'll dig into downstream. Looking forward to it.